and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Schism. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Adam. Hello, everyone. And we've got a very special guest joining us, psychologist, lecturer, and presenter of the R Complex, Richard Grannon. Richard, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on, chaps. I appreciate that. Now, just to give the listeners at home a bit of background on yourself, you have a degree in psychology, and from what I gather, you've been a practicing psychologist for a number of years, working with people suffering from everything from abusive relationships to PTSD. So how did you go from doing that to then going on to lecturing and holding seminars, as well as presenting the series The Art Complex on the iconic streaming platform? Yeah, I have a, I have a, a weird past. I'll try. I'll, I'll keep it as brief as I can. I, I became very interested in psychology when I was uh, uh, still young, like thirteen or fourteen. Uh, started devouring texts on psychology because I naively thought that I could uh, uh, solve the problem of mental illness single-handedly. Um, I, I I didn't achieve that. Oddly enough, you might be surprised. <laughs> the mental illness is is still rampant out there. It's got worse, actually. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> don't think I've helped at all. <laughs> And I, I went to university. I took a degree in uh, psychology. I was going to join the army as an officer. That didn't pan out. And I ended up working for the probation service, delivering cognitive behavioral therapy programs. Did that for a while. And then I uh, did nightclub security for a while. As I was doing the nightclub security, I missed the psychology. So I was teaching online. I started teaching self-defense and uh, psychology techniques to help people with emotional self-defense, how to prepare for violence, adrenaline, uh, how to deal with PTSD post-violence, that kind of thing. Then I started working in the education system, delivering psychology courses to kids with uh, behavioral issues. I did that for about five years. Uh, and then I think around the age of 32, um, I decided I wanted to focus more on psychology again. And so I started doing uh, coaching and counseling and I created a YouTube channel that was around that in 2012 called It's Spark Life Coach. And um, that, that brings us to where were we? 2020. I'd worked with Richard Willett before. I was a fan of David Icke since I was probably 15 years old. Um, and I've been watching his lectures and reading his books. And I got the opportunity. I was invited by Iconic, uh, which is run by David Like Sons, to, to do something. So me and Richard got together and we did the first Art Complex series, which I think we're going to do a second season of that soon. Amazing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. We both watched it and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes, fantastic. Good. Good. Glad to hear that. Thank you. But we kind of found out about the Spartan Life Coach part of what you were doing afterwards. But Judging from your recent interview with Richard, that's something that you've now moved on from. Is that correct? The issue with that started to become, uh, so ostensibly, I was talking to the victims of narcissistic abuse and helping them to overcome narcissism. But actually what was really happening for an uncomfortably large number of people was that they're actually there's a certain type of narcissist that pretends to be a victim of narcissistic abuse. They're obsessed with it. Um, some people call them fragile narcissists. 
my friend Sam Blacknin calls them inverted narcissists. Um, and it's basically feeding them. It's feeding their delusion. So I'm I'm gonna I'm pulling away from that now. And and honestly, the the interest in what I've been talking about elsewhere in terms of like the culture wars, uh, what's going on with our civilization, what's going on in our society, people are actually much more responsive to that now. I think everything that could have been said about recovery from narcissistic abuse has been pretty much said. Um, so it's it's time to move on. Obviously, you're putting it out there as a a helpful way of people dealing with narcissistic abuse but were you finding yeah. that almost narcissists were using it as like a guidebook or something i'm not sure well narcissists know what they're doing they don't they it's a strange thing they don't really need that much help um somehow instinctively they all just figure out uh the right way to get the job of narcissistic abuse done and to extract narcissistic supply from people but i think that some people are a little delusional and this this type of narcissist they're, they're very self-pitying they're not the classic grandiose or psychopathic narcissist they're fragile they're emotionally labile um they're, they're they're ashamed of their own grandiose fantasies and they need their narcissistic supply to be flavored with pity and if they can't get pity from people they'll put self-pity into it there was always an element of that there. I just noticed it grow a lot more in the last three or four years. And I started to, yeah, I started to get very, very concerned with the way people were using the material. Plus for authentic victims of narcissistic abuse, I started to worry it was causing them to sort of languish a little bit and to sort of like use it as an anesthetic. You know, they just absorb the information on narcissistic abuse videos. They don't make any changes in their life. They don't heal. They don't move on. And I, I certainly wouldn't want to keep people trapped either. So, so that was that was the intention behind sort of moving away from that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. That that makes sense actually. Like people kind of self-medicating by watching the videos, yeah. but they're not actually taking any action. Kind of yeah. sedating themselves with with that. It's it. Yeah. Self-medication, sedation. Excellent. Excellent words for it. It's exactly what what can happen and. Uh, it's hard after after you've experienced that kind of uh, trauma. It, it, it deeply damages your self confidence, and um, yeah, it's it's it, it, the, the temptation would be to self medicate to sedate oneself from the pain. So when when you were giving a lot of these talks, and a lot of the content is still on your um, social media, like your Instagram, I got the impression that at, at some of these talks or seminars that you were talking to mainly or exclusively young men is that right uh, no no i think the the demographic the major demographic is uh 35 to 50 year old women is, is the is the major demographic some of the videos i would actually i was trying to speak to young men because i don't have that many young men listening to me and i probably have a good message for young men as well but i think they would watch the videos and be like, it's not for me so with certain videos at the beginning of it i'd be like right this is for the young chaps out there. Right, okay. Yeah. My, my, my sort of follow-up question to that was, like, do you feel like there is a generation of lost men or lost boys that don't really have proper male role models and, in a sense, they've never been really taught how to be a man? They lack, they lack some sort of guidance, you know, that they wouldn't get yeah, a father figure or someone else. Or their that. peers. Yeah. Or... yeah, no, I think uh, the entire generation can be considered a lost generation. I don't know how any... Uh, man under the age of 33 who's lived with the kind of brainwashing and propaganda that digital natives have lived with 
I, I'm, I very narrowly escaped it in terms of time. I was born five or six years later. I would have been sucked into it as well. They basically were raised in a culture that, that had already decided to criminalize, criminalize the essence of manhood, which is masculinity. Um, it is a hate crime to be a man or to be manly. You are guilty upon birth. You're born with original sin. As soon as you're born, you're classified as a potential murderer, rapist, and causer of genocide, pollution, war. I don't know anything and everything in in the world that sucks. It's it's all your fault. Patriarchy. Patriarchy. Yes, yes. I, I lie awake at night considering my terrible, terrible oppression at the hands of the patriarchy. Fathers everywhere, every day, stop me from doing what I want to do. I just can't, I can barely get any work done for fathers grabbing at my ankles, clawing me to the floor like zombies in some foul horror movie. But do you feel like there's been, because to me, over the last decade especially, it feels like there's been this agenda to feminise men as well as demonise all masculine traits and behaviour and this whole idea of toxic masculinity I mean, I'm not imagining this, am I? This is really going on, and it, it feels like it's oh, it's, it's constantly. It's, yeah, it's it's really going on, and um, <clears throat> I think <clears throat> I think I have a decade or so on you, chaps. It was definitely there in the '90s. It was quieter, but it was definitely there. There was an effort. There was a shift. You can see it in Hollywood. There were there were movies that came out where putting men in dresses uh, became a thing to do. And let me be clear. If a man wants to wear a dress, he may wear a dress. I don't give a fuck what a man wants to wear. I don't like the idea of men in general being told that if they don't wear a dress, they are of no use or guilty of some crime. Um, That, to me, does not seem like a useful way to move a culture or a civilization forward. In fact, that only seems like a useful way to drive a culture or a civilization into the ground. It all gets very like Fight Club for me because you said it was going on in the nineties, and obviously Fight Club came out in that era. Yeah. I think Fight Club well, was expressing that directly. Well, he 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 Chuck Palahniuk wrote that uh, in in the late nineties, and then it was made into it's a really good adaptation. It's not perfect, but it's a fucking good adaptation in ninety nine. So we were well aware uh, in in the nineties that we faced a major problem. One of the problems is progress. I mean, there is there is an agenda. There are there are people with strange political views who are self-flagellating masochists who think in some way that that's virtuous. Obviously, men throughout history were the cause of most of the war, all of the war. It's easier to rape physiologically if you are male than if you are female for multiple reasons that everybody is aware of and I don't need to explain. We also drove most of medicine forward and insulation and plumbing and everything like it's a really dumb, uh, it's a stupid and stupefying way of looking at history. Um, it's, it's anti-intellectual, it's anti-factual, it's anti-historical, it's anti-geographical, it's anti-scientific. It's, it's a cult. It's a, it's a cult-like mentality. And there are people deliberately driving that. On the flip side of the coin, however, this is the cost of progress. So with progress and with technological progress, We deliberately try to make things easier. If things are easier, you don't need to be as psychologically tough or as physically muscular to deal with them because you don't have to plow a field now to eat. You don't have to bash your enemies' heads in to, you know, with your own hands to ensure survival. 
you can click a few buttons and send a drone strike to, to take them out. And I'm not anti-technological progress. Um, we just haven't, between feminism, it's not even feminism, whatever this misandry masquerading as feminism is, um, and technological progress, we've arrived at a point in history where men feel and sometimes are pretty useless as men. So, yeah, you obviously have this 10-part series on Iconic called The R Complex, yeah. which is great, by the way. Yeah. Can you just explain for the listeners at home what The R Complex is? We obviously know because we've watched the show. and Rigorously, and we took notes. And we're learning people, <laughs> but not everyone at home might know what The R Complex is. And if people hear the word reptilian, yeah. they kind of automatically think lizard people. Yeah, Which me too. Can make it but only, be, only because I find it sexually arousing. <laughs> There's no reason. It's just my fetish. I just think of lizard. I can't come unless I'm thinking of lizard people. Quite honestly. <laughs> um, well, what what we tried to do, and I, I'm I'm pretty sure this is Richard Willett's conceptualization, uh, was to try and draw a, a, a sort of a parallel between uh, David's uh, concept of lizard people who would literally transform into uh, uh, reptiles in, in a certain sense. I mean, he has added nuance to that over the years and, and, and said it maybe suggested he didn't mean quite physically, literally in this dimension. Um, but I actually think it's a really, really good metaphor. And every time I took psychedelics when I was a kid, I saw lizard people. I saw the world as split into humans who were sort of mammalian, warm-blooded fox cat people. This was when I was really high on acid. Um, and lizard people who are cold and, and psychopathic. Now, is there anything to that? Is it an artistic conceptualization? Well, even artistic conceptualizations are real. Even artistic conceptualizations help us to understand and, and make sense of the world. Whether you like David Icke or not, or you like the idea of lizard people or not, that is an idea that has become... Uh, Rupert Sheldrake calls them morphogenetic fields. So in a morphogenetic field, Sheldrake's idea, the more people think a thing is so, the more power and more energy it has. Or you can understand it in a Jungian lens and say it's an archetype. So archetypally, lizard people are around. And we're not the only culture that has lizard people. As David has pointed out, uh, ancient African cultures had lizard people. There's, there's talk of lizard people from the Aztecs, the Incas, to... Uh, ancient tribes in Asia as well. So as, as there is vampires and ghouls and dragons, so are they real or are they not real? Well, they're as real at the archetypal level as they need to be. So in the R-complex, the R-complex is actually a part of the brain. It's the reptilian part of the brain. If you use the old, slightly out-of-date triune model, people will say, this is out of date. Yes, okay, it's not a course on neurobiology. The old model is the triune model, which is the reptilian brain, the mammalian brain, and the human brain. And the idea is that right out of your spine, the reptilian brain basically goes from the spine straight into the middle of the brain. And right in, the, in, the, in that cerebral cortex, in the stem, that's the original brain. And it's a stick. There's not much going on there. It's fight or flight. And it's obsessed with dominance. That's the R complex, the reptilian complex. So myself and Richard Willett tried to expand out on that and say, okay, well, when we're talking about reptilian types in the world cold-blooded people that's a way of talking about narcissists and psychopaths isn't it 
or archons, the archontic presence. David Icke also talked about archons a lot. This is from the Gnostic tradition. They have no ability to be creative. They're great at copying, but they need real humans, warm-blooded humans, to come up with the original ideas. And then the archons, the overlords, the masters, they can steal those ideas and replicate them brilliantly. So we, we explored that in the archonplex. You know, who creates these power structures and how are they formed? And what's a good way of conceptualizing it? So, yeah, the, the, the R-complex was really uh, a deep dive into that through, through different topics. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to hear you liked it. I, I really enjoyed working with Richard and putting that together. So the R-complex is also like an actual part of the brain. It's like a prehistoric yes. jelly that we've had from when we were early man, and then it would have been useful, I'm guessing. It's not so useful now, but it would have been... Oh. Oh no, it is. It is still. It is still useful. It's. It's where you're. It's. If if you hear a loud noise or something flies towards your face and you flinch, in the old model um, of the triune model, they would say that's from the the R complex. That's from the uh, the brainstem. So just like a lizard, you can. You only have like two. You can either freeze or you can flight. You either run away or you keep completely still. There's not much you can do. You're not a nuanced being when you come from the brainstem, from the R-complex. Um, you said jelly. I'm, I'm not sure how what consistency it is. I haven't eaten a human brain in a while. Yeah. I go I mean, the, cons- <laughs> the consistency. Said, I'm not sure it's a jelly. It might be in my case, but that's the drug use. Mine's jelly. I hope yours is. <laughs> but yeah, it's still, we still use it. We still, like, I think even if you sneeze, I think that's actually part of the reptilian brain that controls Ooh. that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes it even more yeah. gross. God, I was sneezing <laughs> earlier, actually. I don't get worried. I, I I never understand with these people that wear the the masks when they yeah. sneeze. What well, what happens then? It just it's all just Back in their the face. face. Listen, the the mask, my friend. What you anti-maskers don't understand is is by magical intent. <laughs> the masks cleanse you of the sinny sin sin of Corona. <laughs> So you can sneeze and drink your own snot as much as you want. Keep the snot in. Keep the snot in. That's what I say. Breathe your own mucus, you fucking slaves. Yeah, I've, I've never quite. I've never quite understood it. Like I've been like because it doesn't make any sense. Surely you need to take it off to then sneeze, or would you just sneeze into it? I don't know. But I can imagine it, it's a clay but, mask under there. Once you take the mask off, just yellow clay of hard. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but I mean, like I'm in Czech Republic and they still insist on uh, these masks, these, these, these heavy respirators. These are hard to breathe in. And I'm like, this is collecting the moisture that my body's trying to push out. So my body's going, get rid of this. And I just hold it against my nose and my mouth. And I'm like, I'm not a doctor, but I can't imagine that's, that's particularly good for me. No, I can't imagine it. So the art complex is useful if you're in a genuine fight or flight situation. So if you're facing yes. immediate danger, but obviously yes. it's not a good state of mind or state of being to be in for a long period of time. So yeah. how does keeping the population at large stuck in this art complex fear-based mode of thinking benefit the powers that be? And what, what are ways that they, they manipulate us to stay in this mode of being? Well, I think, first of all, 
the 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 thing with the R complex series was the pointing out that the people who choose to rise to the top of dominance hierarchies are R complex dominated, so narcissistic psychopaths, and it is more psychopathic than narcissistic, but very vain uh, psychopaths, narcissistic psychopaths. They're in the R complex, so they're thinking in a very non-empathic way. They see other people as things. They're not capable of compassion or empathy, and they're not really capable of. Uh, emoting they don't really feel that much at all the average psychopath doesn't really they have quite flat effects they don't really feel human emotions as you and i would anyway what do they do to the population well they'll push the population into the mammalian brain and the into the uh, frontal uh, lobes the human brain as well it's the mammalian brain they'll push them into uh, lust they'll push them into greed They'll push them into the, the baser instincts. In the human brain, they'll push humans into sentimentality and into self-obsession and self-indulgence. So they'll hack. These people who are stuck in the R-complex, these are contact narcissistic psychopaths, will deliberately, this is not conspiracy theory, this is proven. We know that they, that they do this. They've bragged about it publicly. They hack human consciousness to control human behavior. They deliberately hack human consciousness. They elevate certain negative traits or, or evolutionary software faults in, in human beings to make us less functional, to make us more impressionable, more entitled, more greedy, more spoiled, more selfish, less grateful, more individualistic, less communal, so that we become lazy, lonely, depressed, anxious, fearful, rageful, angry, lustful drones who are full of need and incapable of rational thought, incapable of processing our own emotions, can no longer connect with other human beings. We become essentially copies of them. We become narcissistic psychopaths, but remolded as a slave version uh, so that we are perfectly controllable fodder where, where I would say uh, we're not even slaves at this point. We're the crop for the slaves to harvest. Whoa. <laughs> That's yes. pretty hardcore. Quite strong. <laughs> That's what we wanted to hear. <laughs> um, you know, in the show, you talk about different personality disorders and traits uh, belonging to a group that you collectively call the Narcons. Just break down the basic differences between your average narcissist, sociopath or psychopath, uh, Richard. Obviously, there's different types of all of them. So like the textbook. Well, I go, I go by the American Psychiatric Association uh, definitions, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, but that probably is going to change in the next couple of years. It, it, psychology is going to have a major overhaul, and we're actually going to review the whole concept of the self and indeed of personality disorders. But as it stands today, sociopaths and psychopaths were merged because we collectively in the field of psychology could not agree coherently on what the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath was. People were breaking down into different groups. They had their own definitions. Broadly, it was sociopath meant it was nurture. It was the environment that made you like that. If you're a psychopath, you were born with it. But the historical roots of psychopath are different again. The nature-nurture debate in the age of epigenetics is not entirely redundant, but we know from epigenetics that genetic expression can be switched on and off by external trauma so mm. it's neither nurture or nature it's both so they they canned it and they just said okay just call it antisocial personality disorder with narcissism the person is trapped inside of a shell uh, due to extreme trauma most likely in childhood 
of a delusional shell where they within that shell they are perfect and all powerful it's a delusional psychotic state very few people talk about that but that's ultimately what it is excuse me it's not typically considered a psychotic disorder but by definition it is there's the the true narcissistic personality disorder is living a psychotic delusion second by second day to day which is that they are amazing the second there's many types of narcissists but let's let's keep it to two so the classic grandiose psychopathic narcissist believes that they are amazing and has the power to generally speaking convince the world that that is true and they can get lots and lots of narcissistic supplies so they experience a lot of narcissistic elation so they are open extroverted bullying threatening ebullient energetic and usually quite happy the second important type to break it down is just two types it's called a fragile narcissist they believe that they're amazing but they generally fail to convince the world that they are so they go into narcissistic depletion and they are depressive narcissists they become uh they're full of shame they're very petulant they become very very petty they have to become incredibly manipulative to get their supply at all and so sometimes they're defined as uh, passive or compensatory i think all narcissism is compensatory but there you go uh, but those are fragile narcissists and those are the two important ones to understand in our modern world the antisocial personality disorder psychopath the way of understanding that i think is most important for all of us that would do us the most good is to look at moral degenerates people with zero moral compass whatsoever who want what they want and they don't care what it takes to get it that's the essence of understanding uh, the modern psychopath so if you have a narcissistic psychopath you have somebody who's stuck inside of a psychotic delusion who's in love with their own self image who is also ruthlessly prepared to do literally anything to get exactly what they want the threat to our culture today is not narcissism and it's not psychopathy it's narcissistic psychopathy psychopaths typically are not psychotic they're not delusional they know reality morality they know what you want they understand what you're saying they do not care the narcissist is a child trapped in a fantasy they don't really have functioning reality tests psychopaths do this is now combined these like two viruses that grew evolved and now they've merged and become one super duper killer virus that is extremely dangerous to a civilization or a collective because it's anti-collective it's anti-civilization it's for that individual it's a megalomania so th- these are probably the most important things for people to understand painting with broad brush strokes so someone like trump for example donald yeah. trump would you say he's a he's a textbook not you know grandiose narcissist in the most obvious of ways would, would Trump yeah. be a typical example of that, that kind of type of narcissist? Trump is a fascinating example. I actually had a bit of an, a bit of an argument with the guy. He didn't write the DSM, but he, he headed up the council of 22 people who uh, wrote the definition for narcissistic personality disorder in the DSM. So having just said, I use the DSM, I actually disagree with it because of Trump. Now, what this guy wrote was, Trump can't be a narcissist because narcissism is maladaptive. And if you're successful, that means you're not a narcissist. And I just think that is a useless way of defining it, completely useless. Trump, I would say, is all three. So he shows classic grandiose narcissism. Clearly, he's a compensatory narcissist. Clearly, he's a fragile narcissist. And clearly, he's psychopathic. He's, he's, he's got an awful lot going on. 
So I absolutely disagree that he's not a narcissist. If Trump doesn't have NPD, NPD is a meaningless diagnosis. Trump is clearly, he takes so many boxes that it's hard to understand what's going on. So the guy who wrote, who wrote the, who headed up the team for the DSM, I 1000% disagree with him on that. Trump's, this is why Trump's such an interesting case. And people like Trump are going to cause us to rethink the way we define this in psychology, because everything he does is writ large. We don't have to interview him. We don't have to draw it out of him in gentle therapy sessions. He spews it all out all over fucking Twitter. My God, we had to ban him from Twitter to stop him from, from spewing that stuff out. Wrongly, by the way, I think he should have been, I think he should be left alone on there on yeah. Twitter. This the, the thing that he has uh, it is so complicated that it breaks the models that we've seen before. It breaks all models that we've had up, up to this day. So yes, you're right. If you were to say to me, he's a classic grandiose narcissist, I'd say yes. And then if you said, but he also has fragile narcissism, I go clearly. And he's also clearly psychopathic, yes. So what we call grandiose versus fragile narcissism might not be personality disorders at all. They might, this is mainstream. It's just not published yet, but it will be soon. I'm, I'm, I'm led to believe. Uh, they might just be strategies. So Trump, when he's winning and everybody's on his side and Melania is having a good day and gives him a handy, he's in narcissistic elation and he becomes a classic grandiose narcissist. On a bad day, he goes into fragile narcissism mode and pouts and becomes petulant and becomes petty because he's now in fragile narcissism. But over all of that, the overarching state would be one of psychopathy. I'll get done what I need to get done by any means necessary. Maybe this could be Trump's greatest contribution to the world. This could be his gift, like being yeah. a case study for like psychologists <laughs> all over the world. You change the game. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing is with, with American presidents, and, and I've, I've lived this multiple times, you, you go like, oh, George W. Bush, it couldn't get any worse. And then we go to Obama and I'm like, oh my God, what a fucking letdown. I really believe that he was gonna, it couldn't get any worse than that. And then we go to Trump and I'm like, oh my God, what the hell? Couldn't get any worse than this. And then we got Biden. Yeah, Biden, like, hold my beer. <laughs> no, my God. So, so I was listening to a podcast the other day and they said, if you think back to the George W. Bush era, you'll probably think back with a degree of fondness because it's slowly gotten crazier and crazier and crazier over time and less and less believable. The simulation that we're in, whoever's writing the script for this, the plot line becomes slowly less and less believable. We couldn't possibly have a fully senile man as the leader of the free world. They, the establishment, just wouldn't let that happen. Well, they did. You couldn't possibly have a black American man who swore up and down he'd shot Guantanamo Bay on the first day of being elected, not only did he keep it open, but there were prisoners in there that they hadn't charged with anything, who'd been cleared to leave, who he signed orders for to keep in. More drone strikes were, were done under him than under the previous administration. And you think, how does this get so, so sick? Do you know what I mean? So it's so a broad scale. I'm at a point now where I'm like, is this a fight between left left wing mentality, right wing mentality? No, I don't think it is. Is it a good evil thing? And for a while there, I thought it was a good evil thing. I think this is a sanity insanity thing. There's some things that are happening here and you just think, where are the adults in the room? How did they not shut down Guantanamo Bay? 
how how can you torture people openly and call yourself a modern Western liberal democracy? How could we, the Brits, fly people to Syria in special extradition under American orders to be tortured in ways that they wouldn't do in Guantanamo Bay because they were too brutal? We did that. We did that for the Americans again and again and again. And so um, I look at it and I'm like, okay, I think you can see civilization, uh, the, 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 the dictionary definition of civilization. If it's not collapsing, it's not progressing. It's moving backwards. We're in a recession of civilization now. And, and I'm not having a pop at the Americans. The British politics is just as bad. But I would say from George W. Bush to now, you can really track oh, yeah. a degradation of, of, of quality. And it's not left and right because that was right left right left that's that's what we've had and each one worse than than the last one i mean what what comes after biden someone in like a like a vegetative state like a vegetable state (laughs) (laughs) or just just a vegetable (laughs) fucking cucumber go there you go america this is what we're fucking you with now (laughs) to stay on the subject of biden for a second judging from the clips of biden when he's sniffing yeah. people's hair and yeah. how he is around children, very touchy-feely. You talk in the art complex about someone that doesn't understand boundaries. Well, this is certainly yeah. a man that doesn't understand boundaries. Someone from your background looking at that, like, how are you looking at that? Because to me, I get the same vibes off Biden that I do that, that I did Jimmy Savile. This is a man that can't control himself. Well, someone from my background... I'm from Liverpool and I did nightclub security for 10 years and I taught self-defense 15 years. So from that background, I just think I'd break that man's wrists. If I ever saw him touch a kid like that in front of me, I would break both of his hands and his elbows. I mean, he's a, he's a vile, clear pervert and with paedophilic tendencies. He's far too keen on touching children you, there is no context that he's doing that publicly, by the way. Imagine why it's like on, behind closed doors where you stand over a child whose head comes to your hip and then cop her chin from behind and lean down to kiss her on the head. Even like, I just can't see any context where that's okay for, for, for a man to do that to a child. I was going to say to a female child, but even to a male child, you just don't do that. The children are, are very uncomfortable. Well. They're clearly cringing their faces off. And their parents stand there with smiles glued on their faces, mortified letting it happen. It's amazing. And I speak, I think it speaks to the degradation, not of American culture, but of American political culture, that nobody's ever snapped his arm. I mean, really, if you're a man and you see that happening, you should do something about it instantly. You don't let that go unchecked. He's, he's fondling children publicly. Uh, th- this whole the hair smelling thing, all of it. He's a he's a yeah. fucking dirty old Peter. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you said. About- Sorry, can you still publish this? Let me just say bye. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it is right up our way. Most of our episodes go this way. I, I mean, you mean- <laughs> said about breaking his wrist. He is like nearly ninety. It wouldn't take much. But I'm sure, a strong wind could do that. I'd either have to get him when he was younger, or I'd have to get in a time machine, and I'd have to be eighty as well. And I'd be, come here, you. Let me give you an Oni Gadaki. <laughs> <laughs> so, so say someone like another in- interesting case study. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're on the same page with Biden, by the way, because I've been literally saying to people, this guy is a predator. 
Look at yeah. him. Like when you Obviously. watch these, yeah. these YouTube clips of all the times that he's done this laid out mm-hmm. one after the mm-hmm. other. Like I know people focus on other part, you know, he's not fit to be president, he's senile, all the rest of it. Yeah. But this is yeah. quite an important, you know, the fact that he's acting in this predatory way, like you said, when he knows the cameras are running. This is yeah, yeah, yeah. no no self-control. And someone else yeah. that I think is similar is, is Bill Gates. So yeah. when Bill Gates was talking about Pandemic 2, getting their attention, for yeah. example, and he's smirking and he's grinning and he can barely yeah. contain himself, would you say mm. that this is, again, like a real trait of someone that's like a psychopath? Like he can't even keep his dick in his pants when he's talking about injecting babies or millions yeah. dying from a future pandemic. What is what yeah. is wrong with this man? Yeah, they're, they're, these are people who I think classically you would have said they were on the spectrum for some sort of autism because beyond uh, beyond psychopathy, they don't seem to understand normal human boundaries. Look, a psychopath can still do what they want and still mask it. Ted Bundy on college campuses, he would say that his van had broken down and he'd wear a cast on his arm oh, so yeah. that he didn't look dangerous. Yeah, that that as nasty as it is, that's empathy. He's displaying empathy. He knows that the the young women who he's talking to would see him as as a non-threatening guy who's in trouble, as in a vulnerable position. So that's a psychopath. These guys, what they're doing, they're either so narcissistic they think that they're untouchable, which is which is possible, or they or they have some kind of autistic traits where they simply don't know that what they're saying is going to be. I don't know if they think they're smarter than, than, than they are or that people just won't hear it or, or whatever it is. With psychopathy, you could say, well, it's the lack of impulse control. They can't help themselves. With narcissism, you could say it's the psychotic delusion. They're in elation and they, they think that they can't be touched or combined, comorbid with some sort of autism spectrum disorder where there is a f- something in the machine that guides communication is not firing properly. Um, and they're saying things that their PR, I mean, their PR people must be having heart attacks every fucking day. Biden, Biden's PR people. Could you imagine that job? Trying to train Biden for public, I mean, fucking hell, you'd have a breakdown doing that. And similarly with Bill Gates, yeah, some of the stuff he comes out with and the way he says it, it's like, okay, Bill, do you care if people hate you? Do you care? <laughs> Obviously he doesn't. No. Like, would ordering a drone strike, like you said earlier, or yeah. launching some sort of vaccination program that's going to kill thousands or millions, would that be enough for a psychopath? Or do they need the thrill of the kill? Is it, would they... Is it going to be personal? You know, can a psychopath just live off, oh, those bodies were incinerated by that drone strike, but I wasn't the one that physically pushed the trigger, or do they have yeah. to be the ones like, they got their hands around their throat? His voice went funny when he said that back away. <laughs> back away. Um, I think I think there's different types. You, there, are, there are personality tests out there that test specifically for sadism. If you are rating highly for trait sadism, yes, you would need to hear the screams for mercy and hear the distress in order to get that fed serial killers. That's a very specific type of narcissistic psychopath. And it, it's extremely rare. It's extraordinarily rare. Narcissists are very, very rarely violent. Very, very rarely violent. Fragile narcissists can be violent when it comes to domestic abuse, children and animals. 
but even that is quite rare. So serial killer is a unique, not not unique, it's a very specific uh, setup. But for a psychopath, it would be power, would be the main thing. So if I say to do something and it is done, that's me getting my hit of, of power. So yeah, I could just, like Obama, sit in an office with a bunch of other people and watch it happening and, and, and that would be enough for me. If I was high in trade sadism, and I didn't get my fix from the drone strike, I'd take a private jet down to Guantanamo Bay and I'd be like, can you just bring the prisoners out and just fucking shock them for me 15 minutes while I'd be off in the corner? I'm not saying I would do that. um... (laughs) (laughs) I said if I was the same. Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) Well, you could pop along to Epstein's Island, you know. Yeah, pop over. (laughs) Because I wonder if a lot of these people, you know, maybe they, they are someone that needs this kind of, you know, they, they need the thrill of the kill, but maybe they get that sometimes. Maybe they have these types of contacts with the, the Epsteins of the world where they can just go and torture someone or kill someone or rape someone. Well, the, well, the, and this is the great unanswered question, isn't it? Is what is Epstein's Island? And what are what was Jimmy Savile really into? What are these politicians really into? I think we're all, we've not said it, but it's the elephant in the room. If Biden's doing that publicly, what's he doing privately? And what are the boundaries of that? Unfortunately, you know, everybody listening to this knows there are people in the world who do need to do terrible things to other human beings and indeed to children, but they don't need to. They choose to do that for pleasure. So, yeah, there is a question there. Like, how how far does this go? And are they actually visiting the alleged kill rooms? Are they actually going and, and torturing people or even kids uh, to death we, we we just don't know not at this point we don't just with the amount of children that go missing every year as well there's a staggering amount isn't it something like nine hundred thousand? is nearly, yeah. nearly a million kids go missing yeah. every year yes uh, the, there has to be groups i mean the, the, well we know this because there was operation rainbow in the uk there are organized groups of people that include policemen politicians and judges People in positions of power, they're highly organized, they're very careful, and they they do, they absolutely do do terrible things. I mean, there isn't evidence yet of what was happening exactly at Epstein Island, is there? And there's a temple on that island. There's a Masonic-looking temple. You know, what's that for? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I mean, there's, there's all these bits and pieces of evidence that point in a certain direction, like the emails talking about pizza where people said, this is clearly code, and I would say, yes. Yeah. There's no way they're talking about the thing they are talking about. But can I say they're talking about trafficked children, abusing trafficked children? You just can't no. quite get there. You know, another side of me says, oh, come on, for fuck's sake, they obviously are. But that's not how the law works. You can't you can't run a civilized society based on hunches and what you assume to be true. All joking aside, I am 95% convinced that they're involved in, in yeah. pretty horrendous things as, as bonding rituals, as ways yeah, of having I mean, compromise over each other. There's too many people, whether it's like Hillary Clinton or Tony Blair or Justin yeah. Trudeau, they give me yeah. such bad vibes. And that's putting it lightly. Yeah. I mean, I'm really looking at these people and feeling like yeah. I'm, I'm getting not just narcissistic vibes, but sometimes like straight up like, psychopathic vibes i mean someone like just no. trudeau is like he's like american psycho is everything's a facade yeah. I, I don't yeah. feel like i've ever seen the real justin trudeau what is real about someone like that he's just completely fake 
no emotion. It's all just fake charm and insincerity. Yeah, yeah. With, with somebody like that, and when you're talking Trudeau, Trudeau or, or Clinton or some of these people, my suspicion is, but I'm not stating it because I don't want it to be slander. My suspicion is with some of these people who are like that, not the people I specifically named, if we knew what they were truly doing, they'd make a narcissist look like a cute character from a movie. Oh, you're vain and self-interested. These are really, there are really genuinely evil people out there. And I know what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about, where you get this vibe from them of like, I wouldn't be surprised if you had kids in the basement now whilst you're delivering this speech. And I'm not, I'm not saying that they do. No, no, no. Yeah. There was one particular clip that I've seen recently. I don't know if you've seen this, but it was Trudeau speaking at his father's funeral. Have you ever seen this? Oh. Honestly, it was void of any real genuine emotion. And it was as fake and insincere as his political speeches, but it was at his own yeah. dad's funeral. You, you would think yeah. like if your father had died, you know, there'd be tears, or even if you hated the bastard, you'd still be showing yeah. some sort of emotion. Honestly, yeah, watch yeah, it yeah. if you haven't watched okay. it. Uh, I'll check it out. You don't have to. <laughs> it's not. Uh, I've, I've become more. I've become more interested in Trudeau. I mean, Trudeau for me was always a bit of a joke. Um, I just saw him as a poser, a typical. I'm left leaning generally, but I'm almost ashamed to say it in this day and age because of the. F- fucking clowns who, who represent that political position it's and i just thought he's, yeah, yeah oh, absolutely i mean these are not leftists these are authoritarian stalinist lunatics at this point mm-hmm. and I, I looked at him and i just thought he's just one of this new breed he's a bit of a joke you know he talks all this woke virtue signaling about about gender and race meanwhile 2001 he's in blackface so many times that when asked by uh a journalist, if any more photos would show up, he said he didn't know because he did blackface so much. He's fucking forgotten. And I, I get kids talking to me now going, yeah, it's 2001. It was all right back then. But no, it wasn't. 2001 wasn't fucking 1930. Are you mad? <laughs> blackface in 2001. No, it, he knew. Like, he absolutely knew. There's no way he didn't know that that was wrong. But so, yeah, I always thought he was a scumbag. Until, until he declared the state of national emergency because of protests in his own country. And I just thought, you piece of shit, you vile, cowardly piece of shit. That is not what your authority is for. We live in an age, if nothing else, of government overreach. I mean, these people are just beyond the pale at this point. The government overreach that we live with now is, is disgraceful, absolutely disgraceful. It does feel like it's all fueling a psychopathic agenda or, or at least an anti-human agenda. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think that in, in a more classic narcissistic and psychopathic sense, these are people who would refer to themselves as elites non-ironically. They are a minority. They have the wealth. They have the power. And we are the cattle. We are the slaves or beneath slaves. We're just cropped. We are just cropped to be harvested. I think that's an easily defensible position because just judge them by their actions and their words. They clearly think that. They don't believe in anything that they espouse at all. They don't believe in equality. They couldn't give a fuck about equality. They don't care about gender. They don't care about trans rights. They don't care about ethnic minority rights. They care about power and they'll say anything to maintain and expand that power. And so, yeah, I think I think this is a absolutely narcissistic psychopathy um, at its worst. 
Do you think that um, it has a self-destruct nature? Because you you talk about in the R complex, like narcissists, ultimately they will always overplay their cards. Yeah. In the yeah, same because... way, do you think that's the way this agenda is eventually going to unfold? It will. It will. That was the... Um... This is what I've been told. Well, I read this was Orwell's intent with 1984. I always read 1984 as a very, very bleak book. But apparently Orwell's intent was to make it so bleak and so ridiculous that the implication was this will never last. It has to collapse. I don't want to ruin the story, but like it has a very bleak ending. But it's so extreme that Orwell's intent was to say this cartoonish level of evil is gonna it won't sustain itself and it will collapse. And I think, you know, that's right. Like, the more this happens, the more people wake up. Uh, narcissists are psychotically delusional, so they think that they're cleverer than they really are, and they think that their targets are stupider than they really are. That's why they fuck up. And psychopaths have no impulse control, and that's why they fuck up. So narcissistic psychopaths have two baked into the cake uh, self-destruct buttons. They're like uh, self-limiting viruses in that regard. So in recent years, we've had things like Dexter and Hannibal, and there's a show on Netflix at the moment called You, which is absolutely bloody awful. It's like a poor man's Dexter. But um, right. there's loads of like serial killer shows on Netflix and all the rest of it. Do you, do you think our culture is being conditioned to empathise with psychopaths or even learn to love them? I think that we've been conditioned to be more psychopathic uh, over the years. So... If you look at the torture porn genre, where the main plot points of the film were around, you know, imprisoning people and, and torturing them to death, which burnt itself out. The Hostel series saw uh, a darker reality. Films like that, uh, that, that I think was part of a deliberate agenda to make people more psychopathic and make them more sadistic. The obsession with evil has always been with us. And I, I, I don't even think it's a bad trait. I think there's a positive trait in the obsession with evil because people are obsessed with evil. Like people who watch uh, serial killer podcasts or true crime podcasts, there's something interesting and fascinating about evil when you're not evil yourself. What makes Dexter tick? Why does Hannibal Lecter do what he does? And interestingly, I, I watched uh, 30 minutes of the series You. It hurt me because it's bloody awful, as you said. Uh, Dexter, but for 20-year-old females from America who drink gingerbread lattes. But Dexter, the TV show, and Hannibal, the character, these are psychopaths with a morality, which is common. Psychopaths usually have a code of conduct. They usually have a moral system. It's not the same as yours or mine, but they do have one. And that's interesting. That makes a character interesting. That makes a character fascinating. Hannibal Lecter kills people who he finds to be rude, he, he really loathes rudeness and he punishes rudeness with death. And then he eats you to show you that you're just a, an animal who's completely beneath him and he's an elite class uh, species. Uh, Dexter, similarly, is kind of a social justice warrior. He mm. needs to kill because he has to feed, uh, does he call it the dark passenger? Oh, yeah. And so he chooses bad people. He, he kills human traffickers or rapists or gangbangers or other serial killers even. So in a way, these, these characters are anti-heroes. And, and I understand the, the obsession with that. And I don't, I don't think that's particularly unhealthy. Even like the villain, the main villain in any movie, you know, when they give their speech at the end, 
I'll often find myself agreeing with about 80% of what they say. It's that last 20%, like Thanos. He just wants to take out half the universe because it's overpopulated and it's too noisy. That doesn't sound too bad. Just picking half the population at random and killing them at random, that's kind of sucky. But there's this fascination with characters who will break social norms and go beyond uh, to do things. So that, that, that one kind of makes sense to me. The torture stuff, I think that was an effort to turn people psychopathic. Yeah, and not just torture porn, and I know what you mean by that, by yeah. torture porn, you, you're, you're talking about movies like um, Hostel and things like that. But yeah, it's not, porn, it's not pornography with BDSM, it's actual yeah, just yeah, right. movies, yeah, yeah, yeah. movies about torture. Yeah. yeah, when you first said it, I thought, oh, hang on, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm missing out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's not just torture porn, is it? It's, it's actual porn where they go, hey, you want to watch yeah. porn? Is as much as you want for free. Just go on the internet. Yeah. There it is. The same with yeah. social media, you know. Oh, yeah, social media, that's free. Get as many social media accounts as you want. And that's also yeah. a type of poison, isn't it? And it's like all these things yeah. that, that are being given to us in abundance, whether it's pornography or gambling or social media, they're all yeah. really bad for us psychologically. And, and I feel like yeah. it, it's all, all an attempt to breed psychopathy into the general population. I think for me, when it comes to what we would consider like classic conspiracy theories and classic conspiracy theory thinking, which absolutely fascinates me and has guided major decisions in my life throughout the decades, there is a sliding scale of intentionality. Some things are like that and they're intentional by a group with a purpose. Some things I think occur spontaneously and they're just within the collective unconscious your, your question was about the availability of porn and gambling and everything else. So to answer that, but turn it on its head slightly, we live inside of a consumer capitalist society. So it's a particular brand of capitalism that encourages people to buy things, not that they need, but that they want. We can track this. We, we know this. This is not conspiracy theory. Nobody's hiding the fact that Edward Bayonet was Freud's nephew and that he, he openly said, yes, I use psychoanalytic theory to make people buy more shit that they didn't need. It was mass-produced garbage. And he's proud of it. But to his dying day, he was a very wealthy, proud man. Thought he'd done good work. But if we have consumer capitalism, it encourages a specific ideological viewpoint in which you and I are consumers. We are to see ourselves as consumers. And people listening to this might think, I don't see myself as a consumer. You can't know that you're seeing yourself as a consumer because your mother and father, your uncles, your family, your church, your school, they're all seeing it the same way. And you've never known anything else. So in our minds, we're so brainwashed and so propagandized that consumer and human is the same thing. It's perfectly melded. A person is a consumer. A consumer is a person. I call myself a person. I don't call myself a consumer, but I am a consumer. And it's not natural. The way we think about life, sex, love, living, everything, it's not natural. It's not spontaneous. It's, it's coerced. That's deliberate. That's deliberate. But what was the intention? I can say for certainty that the intention was to make as much money as possible. I can say with certainty that that is a psychopathic endeavor. And I can say with certainty that therefore we were coerced to become psychopathic in that we're goal orientated. And we think of ourselves as consumers to a degree, something like that definitely happens. But with this particular thing, 
is there gambling just because people want to gamble? And this is a modern Western liberal democracy. And as long as you obey the law and you're making money, you're allowed to do whatever you want. Maybe, maybe. And maybe that's why porn is there. It does, however, serve a secondary function that happens to be very useful to people in governance, which is that it decreases your impulse control. It increases your entitlement. It makes you less empathic. It makes you less able to form intimate bonds with the people around you, which means that you're more likely to rely on corporations and on governments and to become more of a fucking depressed, anxious, wanking consumer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel, I feel like everything that's happened in the COVID era, from the mask, yeah. social distancing, you know, again, is sort of breeding this psychopathy in people where they're now yeah. similar to, as you discussed in the art complex, like, the brain of someone that is a psychopath or a narcissist, they're, they're seeing other people as a direct threat to them. And now that's what people are acting like in the COVID era. If you don't have a mask or if you haven't been jabbed, you're a direct threat to them. They might act towards yeah. you in a violent way. They're becoming yeah. almost like human phobes. Like they're, yeah. they're afraid of other people. So 100%, yeah. it seems really deliberate in the COVID era as well. Just yes. wondered like, how do you think that this is affecting people especially young people. And are we looking at a generation or generations of traumatized people from this experience? Yes. And to, 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 to go back again, the COVID era that you're talking about and the masks and everything else, that's also a part of consumer, consumer capitalism. These things were made, made by companies who made money. There's been a huge transfer of wealth in the COVID era. Yeah. Does that mean it was all about money to begin with? I believe yes. That's my crazy conspiracy theory. That's the one crazy conspiracy theory I'll give you in this podcast. I think that whole, whole thing was about a move on a chessboard in an economic war that's been waged for decades and will be waged for decades to come. It's way more about money than, than about anything else. That's just, that's, that's, my, that's my humble opinion. That's my view. And yes, it is breeding human phobia. And yes, there is a deliberate desire to breed human phobia. But human phobia is the direct outcome of consumer capitalism. I'm a corporation. Let's say I'm Facebook. I don't want you two fuckers talking to each other and having an intelligent conversation and growing as human beings and maturing through the dialogue and becoming better thinkers. Fuck that. I've got fucking advertisers. Hate each other, fear each other, and come on Facebook, argue with some twat in Alabama, and then take my adverts. That's good for me. I'm absolutely a human phobic and I'm love phobic and I'm intimacy phobic and I'm bond phobic and I'm conversation phobic because anything that takes you away from me, Malik, the, the new God of the age, which is absorbing eyeballs, absorbing time and attention, absolutely is against what I want. Consumer capitalism is, is psychopathy writ large and it creates the ideology of everything. So then to say, is there a cabal of people who want this? Well, yeah, they're called capitalists, consumer capitalists. I am a capitalist. I want you to keep your own stuff. But consumer capitalism is an entirely different thing. It's predatory. It leans towards cronyism. It's, it's basically it breeds oligarchies, breeds elitism. What we're moving towards now is communism for you proles and ultra, ultra capitalism for the elite. In fact, that's what the COVID era gave us. Soon you will own nothing and you will be happy and you will eat insect burgers and you will shut the fuck up and breed when you're told to breed. It's not that far away. 
Meanwhile, our elites who just stole all that money from us, as you said, the PTSD is going to be here for decades to come. They'll be doing whatever it is they do on the Epstein Islands they have all over the world. So, like, yeah, finally, what, what, what can we do to protect ourselves? You know, if our world has been indeed hijacked by these narcons, yeah. you know, how, how can we claim it back? And in the meantime, what, what can we do to really protect ourselves? What you're doing. That's it. Think. Don't don't turn on the TV. Don't tune into Facebook. Don't tune into culture. Don't don't be brainwashed into thinking you need to wear, you know, two or three hundred pound trainers on your dumb, stinky feet. You know, you don't. There's nothing better than everything that is natural and that is free. We have to go back. This progress that we're on is is really becoming a regression. We have to recognize it quickly. We have to go backwards. We must go backwards. We have to unplug. We have to resist this. We have to be talking to each other in the real world because that's what we're evolved for. We're evolved for each other. We're not evolved for these levels of isolation. Isolation kills. Isolation is psychological and soul death. Everything that, that creates isolation is before against and everything that brings us back together into our communities and back to each other, offering our eyes, our ears, our time and our attention to each other. That is what we should fight for. There's no problem here. If we all just checked out, there's nothing they can do. They don't have enough fucking armies or personal security teams to bully us all. They wouldn't even come to like a, a fraction of a percentage of the population. They couldn't, they couldn't kill. They couldn't stop before they were overthrown. There's way more of us. But whilst we are drooling uh, zombies, drooling over porn, drooling over Netflix and whatever else we're drooling over, they've got us by the balls. It's a psychological war that we face. And a spiritual war, I think. Absolutely a spiritual war, absolutely. I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Schism. We've got plenty more episodes on the way. In the meantime, follow us on our Instagram at schism.tv. Keep watching the skies. Thank you.